0: The 62nd episode of Everyday Turner with me tonight is Eric Lenton and once again Matt Pavlik. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Going going great. Going pretty well for me too. You're probably wondering why this German guy calls it tonight when it's actually probably like late afternoon for you. I'm old, so this is the evening. Yeah, it's like three in the afternoon, so. <laughs> Matt, you might actually be the youngest guy on the cast, I don't even know how old Eric is. Eric could actually be like 24 or he could be 34 and I wouldn't even know. I'm timeless. timeless yeah you've been you've lived all around the world in so many places like you you could actually be like like really super old but look super young and and we wouldn't even know you you were around like before magic was created i I guess all of us were around before magic was created so that's not really something to to well (laughs) there
1: are some players who weren't though so i'm just saying i mean
0: we've had world champions that were born after magic was created can you imagine that get off my lawn Actually, yeah, I totally made that up. I think Shahar was, was probably like born right before that. But yeah, um, Matt, what have you been up to? We we haven't really seen you in quite a while.
1: Mostly working. I had to go away for work for a little bit again, and now I'm back. Um, and then I started working even more because, you know, those these cards are getting so expensive. I had to take on Tell a Tell me second. more about that. It
0: sounds super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, have, have you have you seen combat? Have you seen actual warfare? Uh, the War on Plaque. That's what I'll tell you. The war on
1: tooth decay. That's what I have seen. That's
0: everything you're authorized to tell me. That's all I can tell you. I kind of like to imagine that you're like some super soldier, and this this whole like dentistry thing is just like a cover up thing that, that you have to maintain. It's true. You can Am tell. Am I onto something? Yeah, I can't. I can't say if you are, but maybe. I mean, that's why you live on that remote island,
1: right? It's true. You can only get here by boat, and I guess helicopter.
0: And you don't really have a, uh, a real magic scene, right? But we will get back into that into that later. Eric was, what have you been up to? Uh, our show notes still say question mark, question mark, question mark. So I don't know.
2: I have been playing magic. I've been streaming. I went to an MCQ that uh, I only was there for a little while. <laughs> it Didn't go that well. What did you play? I played. It was a modern MCQ, and I played mono red prowess, and my first round opponent was on uh, try and deal. 100 points of damage to me in this in this round. Oh, <laughs> so Soul Sisters? No, it was uh Ponza with uh, with looping. Ah, I'm so bad with card names. They gain 7 life and and they get to find a creature out of their library and then they just get witness and they do that. Oh, then, it's it's a
0: green command.
2: Yes, the green command. And then like weather the storm and some other very annoying cards for a deck
0: like mono red prowess. That sounds like exactly the kind of deck you want to play in Modern right now.
2: Yeah, exactly. I five mana to gain seven life. I might be the only person they beat. I don't know. I didn't
0: beat anybody, so good for (laughs) them. We also played in, at least Eric and I, we also played in the Legacy Unchained series that was started uh, earlier this week. Eric, how did it go for you? Did did you, actually, I didn't even check, did you advance to the next round? I did.
2: It was really a close one. I started out 0 2 with my, I started out with what I thought were my best decks? Well, I I actually kind of just grabbed them randomly so that I wouldn't think too deep into the uh, what deck is uh, my opponent going to be playing this round so maybe I should choose this one but then maybe they're thinking yeah, I just like grabbed I just grabbed a deck and played but I started out 0-2 lost the Delver Mirror. My Delver deck, I think, was very poorly designed. And then I played Reanimator, and my opponent had, like, triple forcible turn one, and then we had a really close game two that I won, and then a pretty close game three that I lost. So that was the 0-2 start, and then I moved on to uh, a Pox deck with no Band cards in it, and I beat Top Miracles with Dig Through Time. That was great. Anyway, yeah, I went on to, to win. I, I have a feeling you want to maybe explain what I'm even talking about?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, in case people are wondering what happened to us, are we going to play like all these banned crazy cards and hoping to get away with it? It's actually a tournament series that uh, I think it's uh, Min and Max of minmaxplot.com and that uh, kadam Smith have created, where we have unbanned a ton of amazing cards that used to either be legal in Legacy or in the case of for example, I think Earthcraft and a couple of others have never been legal. Goblin Recruiter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Goblin Recruiter have never been legal in legacy to begin with. So we didn't unbend like the super busted stuff, like no power nine and I guess no Tularian Academy and that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of things, and people have been br- brewing with pretty much every card. I think the only card that hasn't actually seen play is Goblin Recruiter. <laughs> Even though I tried for this week, but I couldn't really come up with something. So if you have like a sweet Goblin Recruiter list that you want me to play in week three, I would be very open to that. <laughs> uh, yes, so I played uh, a Crazy Minds Desire deck. I played Miracus. I played my green-white version of Survival, which I really like a lot. I played the greediest four-color Delver version that I just could create. And, of course, the blue red Omnitile, which I initially thought would be the best deck in the format, but from the stats that we've seen thus far, it actually only went 1 and 3 in the first round, and even though that's like not very significant, it's, it's still somewhat surprising, and I'm going to play it again this week, but I'm not so sure about it. Uh, I've submitted a couple of new lists, I also submitted an Elf Survival list, which is kind of a little bit like cheating, because I only added like one survival, so it doesn't really like make it an Elf Survival deck, but it's it's some spice that I really look forward to using. So yeah, that's what's going to be up in the Legacy Unchained League. But what actually happened in Legacy this week? There were a couple of tournaments all around the world once again. And the first one I'm going to start with is the Missouri Legacy 10k at Moonbase Market. So that was a a really big tournament in the Midwest in the US. Uh, I think it was in St. Louis. And 175 players came together and played it out we don't really have the deck lists yet maybe by the time the podcast comes out the deck lists have been released so I'm going to link it in the show notes on studian.com but for those who want just want to know what the meta game was like we have 16 red and 6 decks that played some kind of 4 color control list we have 12 death and Texas decks 11 miracles 11 Grixis control 9 black red reanimator and then it drops all the way down to like 6 ANT 6 blue white stone blades etc etc and, I want to point that out, one player actually playing Pirate Stumpy. So, I don't really know what they actually played, but the, the metagame report that I received from the organizer actually literally says Pirate Stumpy. So, if you don't know about that, I guess, that was like a joke that, that Bob Wong and I created and I think it was like mid to late 2017, where we talked a lot about, about actually Popeye Stumpy, and then the community came up with like a Pirate Stumpy list that... We never mentioned any of those cards. It, it was the first completely community-created deck. So you guys remember, you make the card, but right? that was, you make the deck. And yeah, apparently somebody played the deck, and I, I actually have lost a match to that deck, even in the, in the hands of Pleasant Kenobi, so props to that guy. Uh, with regards to the top eight, we saw one Death in Texas, one a Bomberman, Miracles, Rockdelver, Moonstompy, an unknown deck that nobody could remember, apparently. <laughs> and a Rock Cascade deck. I guess that's the, the Crashing Footfalls deck. So what sticks out to me is that if you consider the numbers, um, we had 9% run in 6, uh, so almost 10% run in 6. They only put one in the top 8, which I guess is, yeah, is something to be expected if you expect all the decks to perform equally but given that it's kind of the new hotness in legacy right now i would have expected for for that to be more but yeah it's it looks like the kind of top eight i would somewhat expect these days eric how do you how do you feel about
2: that uh, you mentioned that the crashing footfalls deck was in there that one i'm, I'm a bit surprised about
0: or was that top 16 no, that's top eight. That's actually top eight. We got that report oh, yeah. from Scott Monroe, who sent that list. Uh, who also has a really sweet report about the tournament he top eighted with Bomberman. So shoutouts to him. You can check that out on student.com as well. And he gave me those numbers. Yeah, that's the
2: only thing that really stands out to me because that, although that strategy seems pretty fun, it, in my experience of of playing against it and watching people play it, it's, uh, it's pretty inconsistent. And then the power level of the four fours isn't actually there for how inconsistent it is. At what it does but i mean it's got a bunch of good blue
0: cards in it so it's not that shocking (laughs) yeah to me it's like almost like a nick fit in disguise in the sense that it it tries to be like a super legit deck that has this cool aspect to it but we we talked about it i think a couple casts ago when we had Barra on the cast and he didn't really like that deck very much whereas marius Hausmann really liked it a lot but i don't know it seems to be this this fringe thing that I would guess would we'll probably go away. I don't know, but it's. I can see the appeal of it. Like, who wouldn't want to make two two rhinos? <laughs> that actually that would sound uh, sound like something that, that would be totally up Matt's alley. Matt, have you have you seen that cat the deck before? I haven't seen the deck before, so I'm definitely excited about it. Didn't you actually order two crashing foot? Uh, f- what's it called footfalls in Russian? I, I may have. So for those people who don't know, Matt actually orders a ton of Russian stuff to my house that I sent to Canada then. And there's so many crazy cards in Russian turning up at my place. And I'm pretty sure you, you had those crushing footballs sent to me.
1: Yeah, of course, the only thing that I didn't get in Russian was Renin Six. And now have. I'm getting punished for it. So, Are you planning on playing it? So obviously they're still in your possession, so I will be playing them once I get them. I don't know how... But I will fit them into something, and I'll be very excited. Maybe I'll play Rug Cascade. Maybe I'll just play Jun Cascade with uh, making more rhinos. Who knows? I'm very excited that Moonstompy top aided though. I definitely love Moonstompy, especially if there's all these decks running around, these four color decks running around. So
0: yeah, that that's a deck that has seen some success, or even more success lately. And we're gonna get to that when we talk about the card markets here in Frankfurt that also took place. And it's not that surprising, right? It, it doesn't really take doesn't really care all that much about all the stuff that Dreadnix 6 is promoting and also those those crazy Astro Check Lab whatever you want to call those decks you, you guys know what I mean right the, mm-hmm. the, the thing that everybody is super crazy about the Arkham to Astrolab or, or some bullshit yeah exactly exactly it's 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 everywhere right now And even as we see in the Missouri thing like 16 people came together and they were like yeah this is what I want to do in Magic I, I, my deck starts at four colors and then we, we move on from there sometimes even that snow mana for for like not only yesterday, but also Dread of Winter that, that we've seen. So I I wonder where this format is going to be headed. Because if you've been following my Twitter, uh, you will have noticed that I wasn't very happy with the state of the format. And maybe there was some frustration speaking out of me after after like basically falling out of the tournament, uh, having started off 5-1 in, in Frankfurt. But we'll get to that. To me, the greed that we are seeing and also the reaction to the greed, which is basically, I'm either going to fight your greed with even more greed, going 5-color or have have some kind of crazy stuff in my deck, or going the other way, for example, like Moonstompy or even people like Eldrazi. Actually, I saw a lot of Eldrazi lately, are playing all-in combo decks. Like, we saw a resurgence of Oopsal Spells at some point. That's not where I want to go. I don't want to be like either in the camp of I have all the value but less energy, or I have, like, all the power and speed, but also, not. basically, I'm missing Maverick being really powerful, like, or rather Maverick-esque decks, like, you, you guys know what I mean, right? I, know I totally guess what you something mean. like Chant would qualify for that. And I know that Matt is also the kind of guy who would really enjoy that, but I, I don't know what your experiences have been lately.
1: Well, I haven't had any experience yet with Ren and Six on the battlefield, but being a two-mana... I mean, he's obviously very good. He's obviously doing something amazing for these decks, and everybody is shoehorning them in as best as they can, as it seems. But I'm just wondering if that effect was really necessary. And I mean, in a format with, say, Deathrite Shaman, maybe it's a little bit different of a ball game if it still existed. But now I'm kind of I'm I'm intrigued. How I basically looked away from the format, and this card was announced. I looked back, and the room is on fire again. And I'm like, wait, but the room was just on fire. What happened? <laughs> I thought we put it out with Ben Deathrite Shaman, and now it's...
2: Everything's fine. Oh, Things are moving very quickly. I don't think they've now just stopped because and 6 is popular. I mean, like you said, as Renin 6 became popular, Moonstompy has had a resurgence. Uh, the format's just very quickly moving, and it c- will continue to because there are even some more unexplored or underexplored cards from the last few sets, and if there's... I mean, each set they're probably going to put out not not like they did in in War of the Spark and Modern Horizons, but you know, even M twenty, it had a few cards that are starting to pop up more and more. I think we're going to see eternal playable cards come out of most sets from now on, not just like something like Fatal Push. You know, like remember when Fatal Push came out? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, we're going to see like real things that 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 move the format along. I mean, it was just a couple months ago that we were saying that the night of the reliquary maverick decks were the best and now Renan 6 is up there but i'm not too overwhelmed with Renan 6 and legacy and uh but that being said i did my last legacy league uh yesterday i i basically was inspired by one of my ridiculous um unchained brews which is a pile brew with some crazy stuff in it that i like to do which is like leovold and wheel of fortune so then i decided oh, to <laughs> i decided to put together a legacy legal version of that um and it plays three narset and two leovold and a day's undoing and a cephalid coliseum and renin six and <laughs> i five owed with it <laughs> and it plays thief of sanity too so i'm having Dude. fun with these four colored decks <laughs> How, how are you actually going to make that work? That sounds crazy. Like, how, how do you? Oh, it how do You get I to buy, the though, game? It was with counter magic. I've got Sylvan Library. I've got removal. Got I've got four Force of Wills. I've got two Force of Negations in the main. Oh, I mean, the Narsets also just help you find those those spells.
0: And, and
1: I am going to play Shifting Ceratops against you. So bad. I don't know what that is.
0: <laughs> Isn't that the new one that's? Does protection from blue or something can't be countered, and you can give it like Uh-oh. all kinds of keywords, like horsemanship, haste, first strike, whatever.
1: Yeah. Oh
2: my goodness. Horsemanship,
1: haste, trample, or reach. I believe.
2: I haven't. I
0: have a Lily on this triumph. Don't worry. I've got an answer. See, all powerful. What can we do? Uh, but but Eric, you actually made a really good point, and that does give me a lot of hope. Uh, when you mentioned that the format has been moving faster than probably like any time before almost i want to say uh matt you've been around for even longer than i have I, i've never experienced a, a legacy that has been moving this fast ever since the release of war of the spark spark we actually had i think more super legacy relevant cards introduced over the span of just like a couple months than in many years prior oh and that probably contributes to to that kind of feeling that, that's that's you get overwhelmed at times and it really is, it's really got to take some time to settle down. So, for, for the first time in quite a while, I wouldn't mind if they printed less legacy-relevant cards. I mean, they've been churning out sets uh, at a pace that even the the super franchise players who probably have more time to spend in all the different formats, even those complain. Like, the, the spoiler season ends and the new spoiler season immediately starts again because there's a new set coming out and there's so many supplemental products and somehow... Many of them actually have super re- legacy-relevant cards, which is a great thing, but I hope that... And even the recent results have shown that despite people playing all these kind of four-color control decks, they actually haven't put that great results up yet. When we speak about results, I, I guess we should just like move on to the next couple of tournaments. Uh, there's a really spicy brew by fellow legacy streamer XJCloud. And he top eighted the most recent Legacy Challenge with, And I, I, you guys looking at the list right now, because this is crazy. I am... At the core, it's Death and Texas. But he added... <laughs> I don't even know where to start. So you cut the Mother of Runes. Exactly. You cut the Mother of Runes, you add Giver of Runes, which is like the 1-2 version of it. You add Hallowed Spirit Keeper, which is the Barra special. Uh, isn't that the, the kind of card that when it dies, it produces 1-1 Spirit Tokens equal to the number of creatures in your graveyard. And the centerpiece of the deck, I almost want to say, Squadron Hawk. Former Standard All-Star, one one colorless and a white. And when it comes into play, it's a 1-1 flyer, and it searches for three other versions of Squadron Hawk. So basically, it produces a ton of card advantage in the form of a card that by itself isn't very good. But what the card does is... It feeds your four Force of Virtue, which is the enchantment that you can basically pitch play like Force of um, And when it comes to play, it's basically is it a one? It's basically a Glorious Anthem, I would guess. It gives plus one, plus one, plus all of your creatures. And that thing clearly is there because not only is it good against Ren and Six, but it also helps out with Plague Engineer. So that's a super mm. sweet card. I think it actually also has Flash. Correct me if I'm wrong. Pretty sure it has flash. Yes, it does have flash. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. So so a play he told me about the Red on Twitter was like super sweet. He he gets his squadron hawk out, his opponent casts Renin 6, minuses it on the hawk, he flashes in a reverse of nature, so the squ- the hawk not only survives, but on the untap also kills the Renin 6. So that's super sweet.
2: <laughs> that's pretty good. That is <laughs> super sweet. Yeah. I also it's, it's, I would really like to talk about the giver of ruins. Uh, instead of mother of runes because on its surface I originally thought it looked kind of unplayable because it doesn't ever protect itself but now that I've played against it and I've been seeing a lot of people playing it I think over mother of runes, Uh if you don't have if you have the removal from mother of runes the turn they put it in on a vial for example then you cast it there to unlock your further removal spells uh, but if you don't then you need two removal spells to even hit Mother of Ruins. and but, but oftentimes, you don't even have the luxury to do that because there's a problem creature in play, so you actually use two removal spells to remove the problem creature through the Mother of Ruins. So... I, I'm seeing with the Giver of Ruins that it actually puts you in a very similar situation. If you don't have the removal for it, the turn it comes down. As long as they have any follow-up that's a, that is a problem creature, you're still using two removal spells to get rid of that problem creature. The only time I really see it being a downside is if they don't have any creature, and then the the Giver of Ruins is sitting in play by itself. It's it's far, far worse. But it also has an upside of being able to protect your stuff from things like Maze of Ith and it doesn't die to renin 6 uh, it can protect against Gta somewhat caracus for your for your thallius things like that so i i'm starting to think maybe it actually is better than mother runes. i've said this to a few people and one two some of yeah like mm, pretty good yeah it's a one two and it's not a human so if they i mean like some of the problems with death and taxes right now is is plague engineer and renin 6 so it kind of gets
0: through you know, through some of that, <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy because when the card was first spoiled, everybody was like, "Yeah, this is like modern mother of Runes, right? It's it's not good enough for legacy, but we might see it in, in modern." And like you mentioned, it it usually will always still trade like two for one. The only difference being. You can you can get it to work if you hit the Giver of runes. No, actually the, the way I wanna put it is, you with mother of runes, if you if you wanna get rid of it, you need to two four on yourself on the same turn. With give of runes you can at least actually also, this also doesn't really work, right? You can also like end of turn hit the mother and then hit So yeah, actually
2: <laughs> And it's like what if you they're not people aren't playing mother of runes to protect mother of runes, they're using it to protect problematic creatures like Thalia. And so it does that.
0: If you put it in on a vial, it does it the exact same way a Mother of Runes does. I wonder whether we're actually going to see more of that card. Because uh, I'm still like, somewhat are. stuck in the, the feeling that I initially had when it was spoiled that it's not good enough. But outside of not being able to like hold the ground on its own against, for example, like a Tarmogolf or a Nimble Mongoose, or whatever, what have you, it it seems kind of sweet in that regard, which is still... It, it doesn't feel natural to me, but you make a good point that it still usually will end up trading 2 for one
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, because I also thought, I was like, well, that's just basically unplayable, because it can't protect itself. And then I started seeing people play it, and I played against it, and I'm looking for removal, and then after a couple of turns of not having removal, I'm like, well, if I draw removal, it doesn't really do what I need it to do. All it can (laughs) do is target this Giver of Ruin, so that's not what I need it to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, now Matt, you should order your foil Russian copies, right? You don't do foil, right? I'm ordering my Russian Russian copies. copies right after this podcast <laughs> you should do that are you also gonna get your Squadron hawks or do you already have them i think i already have the Squadron hawk so we should be okay there. <laughs> how, how do you feel about the the card because obviously one one flyer for two mana isn't really that great even if it gets more copies but i like how they use that to actually make up for the card disadvantage that force of virtue like f- playing four copies of force of virtue and of course what it does, it helps you out by pitching it to itself, in case you don't have the Squadron Hawk, but I guess you could also recruit off the guard for Oh my god. Like, you draw a single recruit off the guard, you end up with four cards in your hand. It's pretty sweet. It
1: seems pretty darn
0: good. (laughs) Like, I'm... yeah. It seems interesting. Let's put it that way. It's an interesting mid-range way of fighting, while basically Grixis and four-color control. At least that's what XJ Cloud said on Twitter. This is basically the deck he came up with to fight those 4 mid range piles. And it seems like he actually has a lot of stuff that really makes it work. Let's look at the sideboard for here. Um, he's got one Sectum Prelate, a Cataclysm, a Containment Priest, uh, Leon in Relic Water, one Phyrexian Revoker, one Pithing Needle, one Sword of Light and Shadow, and then, yes, two Surgical Extraction, because, you know, some people play graveyard decks. I guess if Eric sees something like this, he's like, yeah, right, two Surgicals, I think I can beat that. And on top of that, he's got two Gideon, Ally of Sandika, which I guess also helps out with the I almost wanna call it like a token theme, because he also has the, the Hallowed Spirit Keeper. And then two either Swan Canonists and two Council's Judgment for a general utility, I guess. When I look at this deck, I actually wanna stream it. I really wanna see how how real the the almost wanna say hype around it is. Because if you look at Squadron Hawk, I can even see it being pretty decent after terminus. Like you, you keep one Squadron Hawk in your hand, you're like, okay, sweet, let's get the rest back again. So <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Maybe I'm reading too much into the deck just just because I really want it to be good. And the talk of the last couple of weeks, even like one to month, has been that Death and Texas just doesn't cut it anymore. And it only can ever get to a top eight by by having like insane numbers because people still like the deck quite a lot. But if if this is the next evolution well, if
2: this is the next big I, thing. I have I'm something down. to add to that. Um I XJ Cloud is prime almost I think exclusively a Death and Taxes player and I was and he streams and I I asked him in his stream very recently what his thoughts on that is what you just mentioned about um Death and Taxes being dead it's not good anymore blah 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 and he said no I'm still doing well cuz I watch his stream and he and he's still he still does well with the deck. He says, yeah, some of these cards can be problematic, uh, but you know m- his win percentage hasn't like drastically dropped with the deck, and I think he won either that 10k or a 5k the week before with death and taxes, like straightforward death and taxes. He's just a really good pilot with the deck, and he's continuing to do as well as he did before Renin and Six and-, and Plague Engineer came out, so uh, maybe people just need to get better.
0: <laughs> That's always an option, right? It's getting better, and you're yeah. right. He actually was the guy who ended up I don't know if he took it down, but if you say so, he probably did. Uh, he definitely was not the top 8 of that Missouri 10k we talked about. That's right, yeah, he won, yeah. Yeah, another another one for Death in Texas. So so maybe the deck is not nearly as bad as, as people have been saying. Like, when I went to MKM, or actually they rebranded Card Market, let's get that right, for potential future sponsorship opportunities. I hear they want to sponsor a podcast. Anyway, <laughs> they rebranded Card Market, and a lot of people there were really down on Death and Texas. I even saw like some of them, which actually kind of hurt me because they were like casual players and they are not casual players but not like super determined tournament grinders and they they posted on instagram that they feel that their beloved death and taxes just doesn't cut it anymore and they don't know what to do and now they're gonna go out and catch some pokemon and stuff and and actually like made made me feel bad for them because not everybody can play anything at any time so yeah
2: yeah i do think that that is where death and taxes is at this point where yeah if you're not an expert at Legacy and with the deck, then you're gonna have a much harder time than you did six months ago.
1: Practice Sorry. makes perfect, though. Keep grinding
0: those games out with the deck that you own, right? Yeah. So yeah, that that's definitely still hope, even though right now I'm very, very much leaning in favor of squadron Hawk over something. Like, I guess they also have Flicker Wisps. They have two Flicker Wisps, So shoutouts to them. But yeah, that, this is something I'm definitely gonna play on my stream this week because I wanna I wanna get a feel for it. Squadron Hawk. Aggro. So for me, what I've I've been up to. I already talked about the card markets here in Frankfurt, which actually was my first paper, like my first big tape paper tournament ever since we played in Beijing in December. I haven't really done a lot of paper thing. I've been working a lot on like online content and streaming and doing podcasts podcast and everything. But but if you've got a paper tournament. Almost right around your corner, and you know the ton of people are gonna show up. You just definitely have to go. I was able to borrow my F stack, <laughs> my F <Elf> stack. Right? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Uh, I was able to borrow an F stack from a friend, and I ended up playing it in the trials. And even though I ended up winning a buy in the first trial, I just, I, I felt like, whoa, the, the power level just isn't there right now, or at least. If you get the wrong matchups, it's such an uphill battle. I ended up playing against a guy on five colors. He played basically four color run and six control, but he splashed white for, for Salt Plowshares, because I would guess he also wanted to improve his dark depth matchup. And at some point, that just was too much to me. I, I tweeted a screenshot, or I guess in real life you call it a picture or a photograph, of him having two plague engineers and me just sitting there with my two insects and trying to win the game, and it was quite miserable. Like, I left that trial with a really miserable experience, I sent out a, a tweet asking for people whether I could borrow Bomberman from someone, and a friend of mine, Alexander Klinger, who ended up top 8 the event, by the way, with Moonstumpy, he asked whether Reclaimer depth was okay. And I actually played the deck quite a bit on Magic Online, and I really like it. So this is what I ended up playing in the main event, the 61-card DN Silver Special. And that deck feels really, really good. I ended up going a miserable, not miserable, but it, it felt miserable at the time, five and four, because I started out five and one, and then I lost just like too many times, had a really heartbreaking loss in, uh, against Slow depth when I was 99% sure I had them, and then they ended up having the exact sequence of cards they needed, which like wasn't that surprising since they had Seven Library going and weren't really doing much. Um, but yeah it breaks your heart when you when you lose game three and there on one life and that was my second loss of a tournament and then my head was kind of out of it at that point almost I lost again in the mirror and in the end I <laughs> I guess that that's some kind of almost negative closure I ended up running into the guy again who played the five color control list again just to be better against the Hogarth Depth lists, I would guess. And I was a loss to him. So 5 and 4, <laughs> didn't really get Yikes. anywhere. But I've got a lot more experiences. And like, what's really, really cool, we had 285 players show up for the event. Actually, 282. And that, once again, makes it the biggest Legacy Tournament in Germany of the year. And I'm happy that we still get so many players. We used to get... I think three to four hundred, but close to three hundred, still a pretty good showing. So there's definitely a lot of legacy to still be played, and also for the rest of Europe, we are also going to have Cheapy Bologna, uh, or I guess they call it Magic Fest now, and also Eternal Weekend. And I think we might actually see Eric at Cheapy Bologna, right? Do I, I, You already know whether you're going to come.
2: I am going to try.
0: Yes, I'm planning to. Are you going to collecting donations on your on your stream? I think some people do it right now.
2: Uh, well, I'm not asking for donations specifically for that, but I am. All my donations that I get are going towards a plane ticket to Bologna. Yes, so like donation decks and things
0: like that are going towards, uh, towards the plane ticket. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. So I would love to see you there again. Would be cool. Maybe you can actually get Mad along, and then we and we also ship Bob over, so we can do a pod, like a live podcast or all four of us. Would be pretty cool. When is it? Oh yeah, it's by the end of November. So there's still some time left. Okay, maybe. Maybe. I mean, let's hope no no war breaks out that the Canadian forces are involved in and they need some dentistry. Like, the Russians, quote unquote, the dentistry. Make. Just saying. <laughs> That's all you're allowed to say? That's okay. all I'm allowed to say. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what actually happened in that tournament? So, let, let's look at the, the metagame breakdown that Card Market got for us. Um, We've got 8% of what they call blue-black-red X-Control, so I would label that as basically four-color run, six-control, check pile, astro-check, whatever you want to call it. 8% Miracles, which to me always feels like the Charmin deck, there's so many Charmans playing Miracles, so not uh, that surprising. 7% Storm, 7% Sneak and Show. 6% Six percent blue red x Delver, five percent Turbo depth and then a bunch of other decks. I think nothing. Re- I guess what stands out is Death and Texas, one of the most popular decks that we've seen over the last couple of years in these big tournaments. I would say is only sitting at four percent. So, giving the size of the tournament, I would I would actually guess that a lot of people didn't really want to play the deck anymore. So, like we mentioned, it's probably not the fate of Death and Texas to to fade into obscurity. But definitely a decline in numbers. So let's see what actually made top eight here. Or is there anything about uh, the actual metagame that stands out to you guys that's surprising to you? I mean, it's nice to see 28% is other.
1: It's always nice to see a good smattering of basically everything else going on. So...
0: Yeah, I guess that also includes Fs. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would have loved to, those guys to put some better... No, I guess it's less than 2% then. So it's more like 1%. which At a 280 tournament, so that's like less than three players actually played Fs in a tournament. That that I almost want to say that can't be right, but those numbers probably don't lie. So less than three Fs three players among 282 players. That's pretty disappointing, actually. But yeah, what can you do? Um... One thing I actually want to point out before we look at the top eight, something that I really didn't like, because let me preface this that the, by saying that the tournament was actually amazing. It was very well organized. their the coverage team, they hired a couple more people. The technical stuff was all on point. It's really, really good. But one thing I didn't like, and I guess the coverage people don't really have influence over that, almost 25% of people had a pie in the first round. We, we looked at it, and apparently like 70 people had a pie, and that just feels too much like some people even had two buys and i get that you run these trials so people can come a day earlier give you money to play in your trials and all that kind of stuff but it's just so so many buys, that and throws those buys everything off. yeah 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 it's it's, it, it, it's leaning towards pay to win almost which isn't really the magic like people say magic is play to win but that Honestly, Magic is more like pay to play because it's an expensive hobby. But once you're at the tournament, you're usually on somewhat equal footing. Uh, and something they do that I don't really like is that the buys actually do stack because there's four tournament four trials uh, on Friday and Saturday, and if you win a buy in one of those tournaments, you can actually stack up to two buys, which is very uncommon. Like they never really did that outside of the the uh, card market series. So I think nobody would really be eh, yeah, yeah, I think it, it would not distract people or disencourage people from playing in, the, in those trials if they got rid of that. Because you can still play in a new trial and try to get two buys because not that many people actually end up getting two buys. So maybe that's something we could do away with and that would somewhat reduce the number of at least people with two buys. But yeah, that's just something that, that's, I noticed that felt wrong. I remember when we got to a point in GPs where like one third of the field had buys and that's when Wizards decided okay we really gotta do something about the buy system because it used to be rating based and then they removed that and yeah there's something wrong with the buy system but that's just my take on it. How do you guys feel about that? But Do you like it when there's when you can earn a lot of buys in trials prior? Uh, I
2: personally feel that I'm always handicapped because I don't have buys because I don't play a lot of paper magic. Like at the GP I went to I started out eight now and i was like without buys i did this without buys it's like I, I feel like every time i go into a tournament without any buys uh yeah like i said i'm am super handicapped so um i think they should be harder to get i think they should be much harder to get i think maybe they should be rewarded for yeah like basically like an mcq where you've got 100 people and whoever wins gets a buy i mean they, sh- they shouldn't be so easy that that uh, all you have to do is play a lot and you have two buys to every event
1: I'm on the same page. I mean, realistically, maybe there shouldn't be any buys, but you know, whatever. Um, however, if they are going to hand out some buys, uh, maybe in the tournament of 282, you know, 10 people show up with buys. But when you have 70 people who are not playing round one because they've already got you know, one win, what is that also going to do to the breakers later on as well? I mean, that's...
0: Yeah, that's the thing, right? And it It's kind of weird because it creates this weird reward structure where if you do well in the main event, and you literally go, for example, like Eric, 8-1 in actual matches, then you're actually pen- penalized against those guys who, for example, had two buys, because those, on average, will have better tiebreakers than you. Even though they literally played two fewer matches in the main event, you're going to come out, actually, they're going to come out on top of you most of the time. Which, oh, oh, me, to me, I always feel sorry for those guys. For example, I think we had uh, Felix Boland. He went 7-1-1. He finished in ninth place and as far as i remember he actually didn't have any buys so that's just like stuff that happens to you and i don't know i'm not okay with that i know that it's not up to me to change that but i think if if, if people at least talk about that we can raise some more awareness for what that actually does and with that i'm gonna move on to the top eight because that's i think much more interesting now so in the top eight we ended up having two moon decks one Agroloam, one four color delver one twelve post a Grixis Arcanist midrange deck, one Eldrazi in Texas, as well as a Blue-Red Diver deck played by Sven Stolz, who actually said hello to me. He's a huge fan of the podcast, so shout out to Sven. Even though he told me he doesn't always agree with what we say. I mean, he probably has a point, <laughs> at least at times. And yeah, this this is the top eight. Uh, not actually that surprising to see two Moon stumpies, right? We already talked about how that deck actually matches up decently against the uh, run and 6 decks. And it is played by Marius Hausmann. Who, as we
1: know, <laughs> famous famous griefer and friend of uh, Julian's,
0: friend <laughs> of, of many people, if if they can get along with them. <laughs> now, Maris is like super chill these days. He he used to be like feared in the sense of the tempers tantrums that he would throw. But yeah, he's he's mellowed out. I want to say. Yeah, he actually almost didn't play Moonstumpy. Like, I remember in the very last round on the trial on Friday, he he was like, no, I'm going to play Death in Texas. I'm going to go back to Death in Texas. I'm going to break Ren and Six, like the Ren and Six matchup. And then the very last game, in the very last round, he plays against Elves, and Elves Mulligans to five on the draw, and they get nothing together. And, and then Marius is like, you know what? Moonstumpy is so powerful. I'm going to play that. And then he crushes the event, like, all the way to the semifinals, finals very conceded to the guy who got later DQ'd, but we're going to talk about that in a moment. So, yeah. Moonstone be super teched out. What's interesting is that we see two lists in the top eight, and only one of them plays Trinisphere, Sphere. And that's a big point of contention. Like, Alexander Klinger and Marius Hausmann, they actually talked about that quite a lot on the night before the tournament. And Alexander, I think, he actually played four Trinity Spheres, whereas Marius played none of them. He instead played two Goblin Kratomakers, and also the full set of Magus of the Moon. So... You guys have any opinions on that Trinisphere thing because I used to be very far in one of the camps but now I'm I'm actually coming I actually came around to to the other one but how do you feel about Trinisphere? Do you like that in Moonstampy? I mean,
1: having played stacks before and Moonstompy before, I do really like Trinisphere. I am a big fan. However, as the meta changes, I mean, Crater Maker is an excellent card. Being able to deal damage, like being able to ping creatures that are being annoying or destroying other permanents, like destroy, target, colorless, non-land permanent is important because you're killing all of their crap. Like Emrak Many, many things. I mean, we're seeing a lot more of Eldrazi coming out with the other artifact-based decks. I don't know. I'm, like I said... I have not played the new versions of Moonstoppy in the newer meta, but I can see definitely going away from Trinisphere because, as well, you want to play for Trinisphere because you want to draw Trinisphere and play it, and after that, every Trinisphere after that is basically garbage.
0: Eric, how how do you feel about Trinisphere? Have have you played Moonstopy recently? Uh, It's been a little while.
2: It's definitely not one of my favorite decks, um, but I'll play it every once in a while. Uh, As far as Trinisphere goes, I don't really know about in the current meta, but I feel... The way I feel about Trim is that it is kind of a defense grid that some, t- some decks can't beat. So it can feel very bad if you don't have anything to follow it up with against a blue deck, because you do need to find that follow-up before they get to their third mana, or you have to play around their counter spells at that point, so it loses its value. But uh, yeah, I think it does. I think it's a pretty important role for the deck as far as, as my
0: experience and is with it. Yeah, that's also what what I always used to say, and I think that's a very legit point for Trinity Not only does it create these crazy uh, Magical Christmas land scenarios where you go turn one Trinity on the play, it's also often a must-counter for blue-based decks because they know they might, might not even have like a third land on the third turn, and they will need to counter it in order to be, even just be able to interact with all your future stuff. So what Marius does, and I think that's also a legit approach, is he cuts the Trinity Spheres because, like... Matt mentioned they are bad in multiples, and instead he just plays more payoff. So he really goes all in on, for example, turn one moon and having like eight moon effects. And if the first one is countered, which would be like the role of Trinisphere, then I'm gonna have something else that's gonna be really important. Given Kratomaker isn't that great in that slot, that's more versatility as opposed to like having more raw power. Um, But overall, with the eight other goblins, like the four war bosses and the four rebel masters, he basically. At least that's his line of thinking that I'm transporting into this this episode. He really wants to hit hard on every turn and never put the foot off of the pedal, if, if that makes sense to you guys. And mm-hmm. I, I can very much respect that. I actually right before the episode, I played the deck in a league, and I can feel the raw power of always having something something that's like heavy hitting, as opposed to Trinisphere, which even sometimes can be just rather hit or miss, especially if you don't get it down on the third. Like if you do get it down on the second turn on the draw. Unless it's like a combo deck. It, it's still good, but not like super crazy, especially if you didn't have a turn one play. And there's also a couple of minor things. For example, you increase the red count for Chromebox, which can sometimes be an issue with the deck. Uh, you also generally decrease the mana curve a little bit by playing Crotter Maker. And something that used to be more important in the past, you're also... Not as vulnerable to combo after cutting the Trinity Sphere because now you're playing four Karns. And the Karns basically act as Nyrod effects, and that also helps you out in that kind of matchup. So you're not losing a lot. And I think that would actually be the way I wanna play the deck going forward. Because especially in this tournament, like the Rebel Master beatdown plan has has performed very, very well for Marius. And without like worrying about like Trini Sphere and just like slamming your goblins, you your moon effects and your planeswalkers. I really like that kind of playstyle. I, I I know that it gets old after a while, but not as quickly as something like Oops Our Spells. So yeah, this this is something a list this is the kind of list I would very, very much recommend to anyone looking into the deck because Marius has been working on that deck for almost eight years now. It used it started out as a joke and he had some awful, awful versions of it that he went like I don't even want to say like one and five or something in our local games. Uh but at this point, every single slot in that list is very, very much checked out, and I would very much recommend it going forward. It even, I even got so far that, that I felt like I want to play the deck.
2: But <laughs> All right, you've convinced me. I'm going to try it, but I'm going to make one change. I'm not sure what I'm going to take out, but I'm going to add at least one Throws of Chaos. If we're not playing Trinosphere, I want to play Throws of Chaos.
0: Okay, now you got me. I have no idea what the card does.
2: This is a four-mana card, three in a, in a red, and it says Cascade, Retrace.
0: Oh, that card? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So you, you can basically cascade on every single turn. So you can use your extra lands to, to turn them into hopefully something meaningful, right? That's what it does. Yes.
2: Yeah. It would, it helps you not stop flooding, if, or it helps you stop flooding with because the thing that you said about not never taking your foot off the pedal, this deck is going to have problems with that no matter how you build it, with, with or without Trinisphere. There, there's, uh, I mean, it, you're just drawing off the. You, you have to keep a hand. An explosive hand you have to mulligan to a fairly explosive hand and then you're at the mercy of the top of your deck and by replacing four trinospheres with a couple of redundant moons that maybe they're already ignoring it's it doesn't change it that much in my opinion but yeah so you maybe i've seen people go up to like a ninth rabble master effect
0: uh and i actually think throws of chaos is worth testing in that spot so, the, of course, the downside is you got like twelve cards that, or other like at least eight cards, and Chromox and trails of the Void that you don't really want to hit. I guess Sylvans Blue But you're going to
2: draw them the, anyway, the, right? Because you've you're already flooded. This card is exactly. like for when you flooded, and then you're going to be drawing these cards. So, it
0: at least you're going to filter out of. all, all the, the crap below, like the lands mm-hmm. that you would draw into. Otherwise, I can, I can definitely see it. It's it, it's like a one turn thing. No, oh, it actually it can immediately, right? oh not can drops, but yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm going to suggest that to Marius. It's basically, uh, at a very basic level, a red seven library in the sense that it gives you more more actual cards as opposed to lands when you don't need them anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, it just unfortunately skips over your four mana Planeswalkers, but...
0: Okay, so it looks like some war, or at least armed conflict, broke out, out, and Matt was actually called into the military base, so he had to leave on on short notice, but uh, we're going to go through the rest uh, with Eric and me for now. Eric, is there anything else in the top eight that you are super interested in? Uh, It looks like a pretty stock top eight. I mean, Eldrazi in Texas, you don't see all that much, but it's still your kind of stompy deck that you will see every once in a while, other than Moon Stompy and maybe Bomberman.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, the top eight, nothing too shocking there. It's uh, it's a fairly diverse top eight. It's um, like we have been seeing. The diversity only goes so deep, but it's uh, it's about what we've we've been seeing, and I'm I'm happy with it. Like it's not it's not like five or six of the decks are four color run decks, or or half the meta or half the top eight is delvers. Uh, and you're seeing, like you said some fringe stuff like Eldrazi and taxes and Bomberman and, and Mono Red and the blue decks. Uh, there's a distinct lack of combo, but that's probably just because I wasn't there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been represented in mid meta game, right? We, we had 7% Storm, 7% Sneak and Show, but they didn't yeah. really get there. Uh, I saw yeah. some guys, at least on Storm, on the, on the top tables towards the end, but they also couldn't get there. Uh, but yeah... Uh, Looking at the top 8 and also the metagame, I don't hate it, even though, I I don't know, there's something missing for me. But maybe that was, especially during my tweets, maybe that was at least some part of frustration speaking out of me. I wrote back with the guy, uh, Felix Bolland, who went 7-1-1 with Green-White-Splash-Black-Maverick uh, after a tournament. And he talked about the deck a lot, and he really got me fired up again. Maybe... Maybe Maverick is next for me. I'm actually looking into building a paper legacy deck again. This might come as a shock to a lot of people, but I'm, uh, right now I'm, I'm leaning more towards building Maverick than elves just because wow. I'm really missing Maverick. Might be might be my next thing again.
2: And, and you got to try and get survival unbanned. Yeah, that's the next thing, right? You're already supporting me on that, I hear? Well, actually, when I said that, I didn't realize this is like a $100 card. They don't need to unban it. <laughs> It's going to make it go up so much. I mean, as far as fair in legacy, yeah, I think the card is fine. I mean, it's it's leaning on unfair for a fair deck,
0: but that's, I mean, I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's something that I can see. As much as I want legacy, or rather, yeah, legacy to unban survival of the fittest, I can see what it would do to the card. We don't need another card that's like seven to $800 a playset, because if it's like yeah. 100 right now and the, the demand skyrockets, it becomes the next Gaia's Cradle. And
2: that's why they need to not unban it. That's the only reason. I mean, because it, uh, it's possible that we just haven't been b- building it in a way that's just completely busted, but I, I don't see it as being faster or more ridiculous than the uh, combo decks, and I don't see it as potentially... Uh, being more resilient either because uh, if, if the blue player or whoever is has any answer to your survival of the fittest then you are basically a maverick deck which is as you said is borderline like not that great sometimes you know it's, it's fine it's a fine strategy and uh, survival adds a little bit to it for sure but I don't think it makes it like so incredibly busted that it's uh, I don't think I think most of the cards on the ban list are,
0: are incredibly busted ruining the metagame yeah, from everything we've seen in Legacy Unchained thus far, which cards do, that we unbanned do you actually feel like are the craziest? We unbanned that that have the most potential.
2: Well, I think Probe needs to stay on the ban list. That card nobody enjoys playing against. That card. That card is is lame. <laughs> that is a lame card. Uh, and I think Dig Through Time hasn't overperformed. We all kind of agree uh, that it would. We didn't allow people to have five deck lists with Dig Through Time, um, so that has something to do with it. Uh, I think Mind's Desire potentially is too much uh, for a storm card. It looks like you can just draw your entire deck and not have any wind conditions in it, and you just—it's just a little too good. And the rest of them seem completely fine for Legacy. I think I'm—I might not, I'm not missing anything. Like Wheel of Fortune, I think is fine. Um, Windfall, I think is fine. Survival, I think is fine. Squirrel Nest, and those are, like, borderline unplayable. Those would be, like, fringe, like, meme decks that are decent, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mind mind Twist, unplayable. Mind Twist is unplayable. Like, there's, uh, it's just funny. I don't necessarily think they need to go and unban them because it's just an antiquated ban list uh, and there's no real reason to unban them.
0: But, yeah, I think, like, Mind Twist, for example, is completely unplayable. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting um, that you actually notice a pattern of all the cards that have never been legal in Legacy, that have been banned ever since the the format was basically created, those cards like Earthcraft, Mind Twists, uh, what have you, um, Goblin Recruiter, those are the kind of cards that we all feel like they could probably come off the banned list, because even though they've been playable, or they've been like highly playable at the time they were put on that list when the format was created, they are probably not holding up all that well against the current state of the format. Whereas cards that were put on the banned list later on, that have been legal in the format before, like Deathrite Chairman, Probe, uh, Dig Through Time, most people feel that they should stay on the banned list because they have proven themselves in a rather recent past and they are really powerful. So. I could see like them slowly removing more stuff from the banned list in the future. I don't know whether Wizards even watches our league, um, but people have done stuff like that in the past. Uh, I think Caleb would also put out an unbanned series on on Channel Fireball, and yeah, we'll see. I'm actually surprised about Mind's Desire. Like everybody knows the card is broken, but once we actually started building lists. None of those lists felt really strong, but then I played it in the first week, and boy, the card was broken.
2: <laughs> yeah, the card looks really broken. I think that we can't just say, "Oh, it didn't it didn't perform, so it's not that that good," um, because there aren't that many of us. Uh, and if you open it up to everybody in Magic, things might look very different. So that's why I'm saying I might be wrong about survival. But from what I'm seeing, everybody in in this league is building survival in a slightly different way, but they all kind of do the same thing, which is you get survival, you get. A bunch of mana, and then you're going to be able to put a bunch of power into play, basically,
0: and kill your opponent. I think that is a totally fine thing to do in Legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Attacking for, like in the best case scenario, you attack for like 16 on turn two. That's not even by the standards of Legacy right now. And given like how many moving pieces you have there, that's not even like too broken. Of course, what makes it better is that unlike other rather linear, strategic, dedicated combo decks. If survival goes wrong, you still have like a decently, like decently playable deck. Like really nothing great. Uh, what? It's helps? kind of like the Phoenix deck, though. In that, yeah, you you get
2: the the combo. It's a little bit better because it's a one card combo. Um, but without it, yeah, you can still you still get to play a game of Legacy with your discard spells. I'm talking about Phoenix with your discard spells and your Young Pyromancer tokens and things like that. And so with Survival, you still get to play a game of Legacy without it. You've got you know, death, right. Char- I mean, in these lists, you've got death, right. Char- Imagine without death, right. Char- I mean, I feel like survival would be pretty close to unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> you got noble Hierarch. So you got noble Hierarch, which is like the, the most fair one drop you could possibly put into a deck in legacy. You got noble Hierarch, You've got four mana hasty dudes that you can play in Vengevine. You've got some Thalia's. You got things like that. Yeah. It's like super fair magic. Like, and then you add, you, you add a potentially,
0: busted draw with an unanswered survival i, I think that's totally fine yeah I, I i think there's there's like two extremes right there's these super heavy dedicated combo lists that are really playing i don't know 90 percent of their cards are dedicated to getting the wenchwines and hello ones in play and i think at least the list i played is very much on the other end it's like basically a green white maverick deck that also happens to play survival and i think i only play three wenchwines and a couple of like What's it called basking root waller uh, and that kind of stuff and I feel like yeah. this is where I want to be the survival of course I could be very wrong on that and at least once the league is over, I think we will have a lot of a, a lot of matches I think survival might actually be the most played deck in the league thus far next to Rixus diver, which also a lot of people play but I'm really looking forward to the results and yeah yeah that that's gonna be super interesting to see what Legacy Unchained to to be found on minmaxblock.com is going to show. So if you guys have any kind of cool brews that you want to show to Eric and me, definitely hit us up on social media and send them to us. Because it's actually not that easy to brew in that format. I feel yeah. right now, like all those Grixis variants playing Probe and what Shaman I are probably like the one of the best decks that you can play. But we want to see some more sweet stuff. Do, do you have anything yeah. anything sweet lined up for the next week?
2: Well, so I I don't really have time to brew with cards that I've never played with, so I'm kind of just playing things I've played in the past, which would be Deathrite Shaman decks, so I'm Bant, I played against uh, Min, he was on Survival, I played Bant, I won that match, Bant is very good, I, I do miss playing with Deathrite Shaman, but that card, I, I think, although I wasn't on the bandwagon of this card needs to be banned, uh, I definitely wouldn't say they need to take it off the ban list because it just does it does a lot for a lot of strategies so that those strategies don't need they should struggle a little, a little bit more um but yeah Bant with death threat shaman's really good i really like that and uh so i'm going to be playing that again and i also played t- last week i played two decks that have zero banned cards and this week i'm also playing two decks with zero banned cards kind of on purpose because i, I keep making this point that uh a lot of these cards are unplayable and and would be totally fine in legacy and so i'm playing. Um, decks with no with no band cards against decks with band cards so uh the most spicy thing i have is the pile deck i i made with um the, that i want to cast wheel of fortune with
0: uh oh yeah you told us an set and play. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good that's gonna be that almost sounds like it could work in vintage i guess people are actually doing that as far as i'm aware <laughs> yeah so that almost feels like cheating and having said that unfortunately or i guess it, you could also say fortunately he was caught somebody was disqualified in the top eight of in the finals or rather after the finals of the card market series in frankfurt um to me it feels really weird even though I, I probably wouldn't call him a friend but he's something he's someone i was friendly with who i have seen and known at european tournaments for years and he also would have rather been in the camp of players, I would have said they probably don't cheat. Like, you don't assume anyone cheats, but he was always, like, such a nice guy that you would always assume probably not cheating, right? But I, I guess that's that's part of the of the facade, of the, the the thing that they put up. A lot of people actually told me, for example, that Alex Botticini was, like, super charismatic and he was always mm-hmm. super nice to everyone and they would never th- think he would do that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened? He was playing four-color Delver in the finals against blue-red Delver. And Twitch chat, Mr. Twitch chat police, the underground dojo keyboard cage fighters, they caught him. They noticed three different things uh, that, I guess, two of them on their own are already pretty damning. Uh, the one thing about playing two Lancer turn, even though it also looked pretty deliberate, I would almost be inclined to, to like, sign it under an honest mistake, even though it looked like pretty pretty de- I don't know, on purpose. But the other two things, there looked really bad. Uh, so on the first clip, he quote unquote shuffles his library after having put well um having put a very favorable card for him on top. And then he does the thing, I guess you've seen that before where, where you shuffle your library, but the top card never changes. You take the bottom half of your deck, you mesh it into the top half of your deck, but not on top, like not exactly on top, but slightly below, so the top card never changes. And if the opponent doesn't cut the deck, which ended up happening twice, you literally get demonic, or rather, I guess vampiric tutor. And it looks really bad. Uh, especially in the second one, for example, he brainstorms Trunan Nemesis to the top, but does want to draw it later on. But then he's forced to crack his fetch land to play a spell PS on a critical spell. So what he does is he he cracks his fetch land, looks for the card, puts it into play, then shuffles, shuffles, shuffles. Puts the deck in front of his opponent, but then immediately puts the spare piece next to it, and to me that also looked like I don't know. Like I'm glad I don't have to make the final call. I'm glad that judges end up making the final call, but it also looked like pretty pretty much on purpose to like mislead his opponent and like put his opponent's attention on the spare piece instead of the library because it also wasn't like what. I, so what I do, um, and I think that's a good habit to have when I present my deck for shuffling by the opponent. I literally put it, like, on their side on the board to make it really clear, like, like I'm not trying to, to like, get away with them not shuffling my library or any, or any kind of fishy stuff. But when people, like, put the deck in the place that it's supposed to be, I always feel like, oh man, maybe they're trying to cheat. Like, obviously, like, most people don't, but some people do, and then you should definitely make an effort to grab that deck. So, yeah. Like, to me, it really feels awkward um, when, when somebody you know and you think they wouldn't cheat ends up getting busted, and, like, the video, I'm going to link them in the show notes, they really don't look good. Eric, have you looked at them?
1: Uh, I
2: think I saw two of the videos, not the one with the spell pierce. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad, like you, that I'm not the one in charge of figuring these things out, because they always, when these things get pointed out on video, they definitely, I mean, it definitely looks like cheating, but you never, you never know if somebody's just, I don't know, I, I don't know, it definitely looks like cheating. <laughs> so I'm good. <glad. laughs> I don't know, but I I know I've had other people like you say that they knew him and they didn't think he'd be like that. But then they see these videos and it's like, yeah, I I hate that part of magic. It's I I don't I don't even like shuffling my opponent's library, which is what I do do always, because it's like I don't want to think about cheating. I don't I'll just always shuffle. I'll always give their deck a couple of shuffles. And then uh, if I'm in a tournament and then that's what I'll do. But I I can't keep track of, uh, you know, some people they draw their cards the opening so quickly you can't even see how many are there and it's like but can I see seven, your hand right. please <laughs> yeah it's I hate that stuff I I wish everybody did it properly so it was all easy you know show me your seven cards uh, hand your deck to me so I can shuffle it you know don't you know anyway
0: yeah so yeah, yeah if, you, like if you wanna kind of if you wanna cheat against me like I'm very good at usually watching out for most of the stuff but i'm really bad at checking whether my opponent really drew seven cards and if i'm actually ever in doubt i like on their second turn i just quickly do the math how many cards they should have and then i ask for the cards in hand uh, just to like feel sure and i never caught somebody like cheating that way but yeah it it, i've been there where where i'm like was that seven cards i don't even know. damn But yeah, it was a really awkward situation. They even did the the post-match interview and the the award ceremony, even though that's not very glorious with card markets. I guess they could do that better. And yeah, then, then he drove off. And shortly afterwards, the head judges issued a statement saying that he was... Were busted for manipulating of game material they called it. So we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't even know whether you actually received the money. So the way it works in MKMS or card markets, you, you receive um, a voucher that says the amount of money that you get, and then you go to the website and you put in the code, and then you get the money. And I don't know whether they still do it like that, or maybe they also credit the money directly into the account. But if you already received the voucher, then I guess. She's just gonna have that. Like, you, I don't know what's gonna happen. Some people have talked about that the prize money might be distributed to the rest of the top eight instead, or even that the guy in ninth place might get the money. I don't know where I stand on that. Do you, do you have like an opinion on that? What happened a... if you were in a tournament, if you were in the EW Landon Open Series and something like that happened and you had not given out the money yet, what would you do to, to that guy's share of the prize money? Because I I should preface this by saying that the top eight had agreed on a split. Like, every one of them received something like 400 euros, I want to say. Mm-hmm.
2: I, it's really tricky. It's really tricky because there might be legal issues. But um, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's stealing. So I'd want to find out if the law is on my side, and I would just cut him out of the prize that they split in the top eight and let the other, whoever split, split, it, split his part too. Uh, because basically, if you're cheating... At a tournament, you're basically stealing from people. So you don't get to get the prize when <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. caught. Um, and there's no remorse there. But if the law is not on my side, then I would try to give him his entry fee back and not let him have his prize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that, that part about the law. I think there was actually an issue with uh, when Berrucini was, was banned. He ended up winning a beta set of power nine and mm-hmm. a ton of money at scg and he was literally banned and suspended the next day and ben Blywise, the the guy behind scg i think he actually went on record saying that he's still bitter about still having to give Peruccini all the kind of stuff because yeah. apparently the law wasn't on their side but ever since and somebody would need to check like the the terms and conditions on scg i think they they have something in it that if you if you get banned or suspended for an action committed in that tournament, they are not legally obligated to pay out your prize money or something. I'm pretty sure I heard something about that being in, in at least their terms and conditions by now. I'm not sure whether the card market has something like that.
2: Yeah, they sh- they should. Because, yeah, paying out a prize
0: to somebody who cheated in a tournament is pretty... Yeah. Especially poor. with the Oh my god, I would... If you were playing back then, and you saw that image. I think the legacy community hasn't forgotten that image, where he literally holds the power nine in his like mouth. I know, yeah. And has that that huge check or something? It's like disgusting. But yeah, that that was that was probably the low point of of the weekend with regards to the tournament because everything else was really really great. And um, even though I said that I'm not gonna play in that many paper tournaments on anymore because I want to focus more on content and like I don't have infinite time. I enjoyed this so much. I'm definitely going to go to the stop in Prague. I would also go. love to go to, I think there's a one in Barcelona, and Barcelona is just amazing, but I will figure it out. But I'm definitely going to be in Prague. So, cool. yeah. Also, oh, by the way, something I didn't mention. What Card Market does is they show both players all the time, like 100% of the matches on the left and right side, you see both players. So, this is something, this is some kind of cheat that might not have been caught. On other streams, because I think they only ever randomly show people, or they show them during sideboarding. And maybe if you're like like a cheater who does this kind of this kind of shuffle trick, maybe those guys are not used to like being on camera even while shuffling, and getting busted. Because like the discussion was, why would you cheat after the tournament has already split? But if you see how much the guy was actually happy to win, like when he won, he he shook his opponent's hand and he went like, I don't know if you can hear that, you he did that finger thing. He was like really happy. I, I guess the, the, the glory or whatever behind it was really important to him. But yeah, I guess. That's real that strange. Came, yeah. <laughs> it's real strange. Yeah, like I, I still feel awkward talking about, about that. I also felt awkward when, for example, when Rodrigo was banned. Because Rodrigo, I was like when he was banned, felt like, wow, a friend of yours was banned for cheating and I still don't know how to feel about that because it's so awkward. Uh, yeah. This guy wasn't nearly as close to me but it's it's still like, when you think somebody's like super legit and like, okay, but this guy, I didn't even know whether he was super legit but I always assumed that he was. But I don't know how does that affect the person in their local community because we were like also talking to the to can't really say talking to his friends, but we noticed that his friends also felt like awkward about it. Like, what is this going to mean for the future? Is this guy still going to be part of our community or not? Uh.
2: I can't stand cheaters, but you know, I, if if I don't see something that that like, but this video, I mean, the guy looks like
0: he's cheating. So I'm like, I don't really want very to play, very much. I, I would lean very much toward it. Yes.
2: Yeah, but I mean the the. Judges tend to be poli- police, they're cops too. So they, if I don't see anything, like, I don't know, I, it's hard for me to even have a stance on a lot of the, on a lot of the cases. Cause I didn't see anything. And, and I know that, I know that magic can be very difficult, like the dexterity of it and the everything about it can, it can be very difficult. And I'm often like, oh crap, I did this thing, you know? Uh, and it's like, I gotta be careful about, 'Cause you know, it'll look like I'm cheating if, if uh if I didn't tap my mana right or something like that, you know? I don't know. It's it's hard. Magic's hard.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um I mean I've been I've been on camera attacking with a summoning sick creature in the finals of Bazaar of Moxen in 2013. I still think about it like Yeah, it's not like, oh you're cheating.
2: Day, you're you you're one of the best players. Like you would never make a mistake like that. You're trying to get an extra point of damage in.
0: It, it, oh no, it's, it, it just, it sucks. You, you've you got this, like, very, one of the highlights of your career and then you see that, that you did that and feel like, but people tell, people tell you afterwards, yeah, of course it happens, but you, you know, especially when you have such a big reputation of having done well over so many years, you really don't want anyone to think that, that, oh my God, this guy, maybe he's like an angle shooter or he's like getting in these small advantages because sometimes yeah. you just make a mistake. And that's why when I just saw the thing about the, the guy playing the second land, I very much felt like, okay, I mean, everybody who plays a lot plays a second land at times, even though it looks really sketchy. But the things about yeah. the shuffling, I uh, I hate that.
2: Yeah, uh, if you're moving cards, I've, I've had people say, uh, bad players, you know, doing this kind of thing when they're shuffling. I'm like, this is cheating, even if you don't realize it. Like, you're not allowed to move the cards around in your deck and not randomize it afterwards. That is cheating. <laughs> and even if you don't know it, you are cheating. <laughs> Like yeah. You know you're doing the moving of the cards around and not randomizing. And if you didn't know that's cheating, that's on you. That's definitely
0: cheating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the classic mana weaving situation, right? Where, where people exactly. tell you, oh, I'm, I, I, but I'm randomizing it afterwards. And you're like, yeah, why? so why are you doing it in the first place? Like, uh, like Or if and you then you're do being careful
2: not to really randomize it by cutting yeah, it. Exactly. In a certain, it's like, this is cheating. You're, you're trying to get your yeah. lands in a certain way in your
0: deck. You're not randomizing your deck. That's cheating. Yeah, if you... Even if you perfectly randomized it afterwards, if you believe that this is going to give you an advantage, that's already the cheating mindset and that's already being punished. There's, there's a famous case on, on the Pro Tour where a player did something that was entirely legal, but he thought it was illegal to do, but would give him an advantage. And it, like, it would get super technical, but basically he, he did something he thought was illegal that would give him an advantage that was actually legal and he ended up being disqualified and banned for that action because just mm. the mindset of trying to get an unfair advantage is what's punishable and that's why mm. like all this kind of stuff like mana weaving and uh, and like moving cards around while shuffling a library i understand where people are coming from and some people and i don't want to say where they were from because that's like doesn't matter but i've met people who told me that in their city if once they learned magic all the old players—they told them, "Oh, you have to like move around cards if they clump up, or you have to like, if you have played a lot of matches, you have to like distribute to see your lands really well." And some of them, they actually didn't, weren't aware that they were cheating. But it, it's really important to not only in this podcast, but generally when you talk to people, to point out if you do anything that you think will improve the way, like the cards you draw, that is not bound to a cantrip or whatever. That that's really literally just like moving cards around. That's cheating, and you shouldn't do that. And in yeah. this video, like, it looks really bad. And I, like, if I didn't know him, I would immediately say, yeah, definitely cheating. But now I'm like 99% cheating, which in, <laughs> in, in, in the world of magic, that's that's far enough to actually convict somebody. And yeah. But yeah, I, I, I want to talk about like a couple of small things that people do that enables cheating. Not only in the sense of what are you doing to open yourself up to being cheated on, but what are you also doing that's not okay? And that's, like, in your case, it's not a problem because you know you're not cheating. But by by doing certain things, you say, okay, I'm actually okay if my opponent did the same. And that allows your opponent, for example, if they're like a cheater. Like, I actually, I, we don't have any statistics, right? How many, uh, before? so before you got into this segment, how many people do you think are actually cheating in magic tournaments? Like, if you go to a GP... How many of them? It doesn't matter whether it's like predetermined or opportunistic cheating. What percentage of people do you think are doing shady stuff? Even if it's minor stuff. Oh, probably at least ten percent. Whoa, that high? Yeah. Oh, maybe you're right. Like I, I came in like thinking maybe or one or two percent, but I mean, especially at a GP, there there's so many people who, who like like I mentioned, are probably like doing stuff that they they think oh, that's okay. You know that old guy at my shop does that every time. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names,
2: but at the GP I went to my, well, I guess this will make it my first loss. My first loss of the day was in the round nine. Right. And, and, uh, my, my opponent was playing, uh, extremely sloppily. They were very, very sloppy, um, about everything. It was, it was, it was frustrating, um, how sloppy they were playing. And I talked to a friend of mine who had played them earlier and I realized, oh, yeah, I was actually watching this match. And they played this person earlier. And this person had tried to change a... Um, this is like round seven at X and O. Uh, tried to change a suspend dice into a token creature in an attack step. Uh, what? <laughs> they, they tried to take their suspend dice and attack with it. The one they had been using for a suspend card. They tried to attack do with it. How you attack with a dice? well it's a 2-2 it was using dice for tokens um oh i see i see okay oh that's that's pretty shady right well and uh the judge got called and and, oh it's just a mistake you know it's not uh, okay that's not a creature it's not attacking basically this person has is one of the top elo or or, yeah elo or like this person has top eighted many many gps this person is not bad at magic (laughs) so i mean and that's definitely cheating i mean if you're sloppily playing and moving things around to then have like more creatures it's, uh, it's and you're not you're not like new to magic That that seems like but anyway um yeah it seems to me like yeah i would say 10 percent. i think there's people doing stuff like that a lot to gain a little edge there's people who um might might draw an extra card or might uh, look at the deck when they're shuffling because they want to get some information and they, they're aware of that that's cheating I think so
0: yeah especially the shuffling part and actually that, that also gets me to what I was um going to talk about with like all the little stuff that some people do without ill intent But that actually enables their opponent to do the same with ill intent. And that gets me to shuffling. Because so many people, and you've we've all seen that, they shuffle. They literally look down in front of them as they smash the the two deck halves into each other like all the time. And it's so easy to really just like take a glimpse at at those cards. So what you're supposed to do is you literally have to hold your deck. And and I mean, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, like a lot of people know this, but I I think it's so important that we should mention at least. Take the deck, hold it in your right or left, actually in both hands, I guess, to the right and move your head to the left. And I do this at tournaments and sometimes the person sitting next to me, like on the left side, they give me this really weird look like, hey, why are you staring at me? And then they realize, oh, okay, I'm just like deliberately looking away from the deck. And you should expect your opponent to do the same. It's so frustrating when your opponent takes your deck or even their deck because they could also be stacking and like yes, I'm cutting their deck, but just the thought that they might try to pull something on me makes me angry. Ask your opponent to, to do the same. Look away and people will sometimes tell you, well, actually, I can't, I, I can't shuffle the deck. It's like, oh. technically, you could, could even like call a judge and ask the judge to shuffle the deck. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, that's just something that, that I really want to get out there. Do everything you can to not look at your or your opponent's deck while shuffling, even though you know that you're not going to cheat, But you should hold the same kind of standard to yourself that you're holding to your opponent, and that is to hold the deck away from everyone while shuffling, and also shuffle their deck whenever they present it at the beginning of the match, but also while shuffling in-game. You're legally obligated, or like in in, in the terms of MTG law, legally obligated to shuffle their deck at rules enforcement level competitive and higher. I checked with a judge there's actually no penalty to not shuffling your opponent's deck because that would be like a way to fish for warnings for them, which totally makes sense, but just to get that out there you you cannot say, Oh, I trust you, I won't cut your deck at least cut it, Better shuffle, but at least cut it. you're legally obligated to do that at rules enforcement level, competitive and higher and yeah that there's just like so many things that that enable that kind of of kind of probably even opportunistic cheating by some people. And I think it's really important that you hold yourself to a very high standard, so you can demand that same kind of standard from your opponent. Is, is there anything else, Eric, that that you sometimes also spot that that pisses you off when people do it?
2: Uh, no, that's a, that's a big one. Don't at the same time, don't try and like peek at your opponent's cards while they're shuffling. I mean, if they flash them to you and you see them, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about that. But don't be trying to like. Get a peek all the time. Like, people are, and it's just like, stop trying to gain these little edges that are not part of the game, you know? And, uh, and same same thing with, like, sleeves. Like, if you go into a competitive REL, make sure your sleeves are, are, are new. They're good. If they're not, and they're new, and they're not, and they look marked to you, like, maybe write the company. And be like, I cannot use these sleeves in competitive magic. You need to make better sleeves, or I'm gonna, you know, maybe they'll send you some new ones. Cause it is annoying if you open up a new, a new pack of sleeves, for example at the gp the sleeves that i was given by them it's like almost unplayable they all looked marked and so luckily they're all marked in a similar way so i but <laughs> yeah i mean make sure your sleeves don't look marked and that they're new and you are not using marked sleeves and uh yeah and, and don't look at your opponent's cards when you shuffle but do shuffle it and yeah the same thing like look at your opponent's sleeves make sure they're not marked we just had yuyo watanabe get banned from marked sleeves and he's in the um hall of fame it's like People are, people are definitely cheating. And, you, and it sucks, but you need, to, you need to be on the lookout and also make sure that, um, you know, nothing that you're doing could be considered that way. So, it, so like what Julian said, if you think you're gaining a small edge from this thing that you're doing, don't do that. That's cheating.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. One more thing that I want to get out, because uh, it happens at almost every tournament, either to me or like on a table next to me, be aware of how you use the word Okay. It's, to me, it's the most frustrating thing. You play something, your opponent says okay. And to me, that means your spell resolved. But there's, and I have to acknowledge that, there's a significant amount of people who will just say okay as an um, or like, okay, you played that spell. And it's, I hate that. <laughs> so it, it creates so much confusion. And I've been in those situations where your opponent plays, like, you play a spell, they say okay, you play the next spell, and they're like, oh, wait. And judges often rule or side with the interpretation of okay as being like an um, but not an acknowledgement of a spell resolving. So if you're the kind of person who likes to say okay, but doesn't really mean it, try to work on that. Or <laughs> just clarify that with your opponent, that you don't mean that as as okay or, or anything, because that's the main... I would actually like to get in judge's opinion on that, but to me, in my experience that's the major source of miscommunication between players okay just cut that out it's it's not helpful interesting what are you saying when you resolve a spare, or when you acknowledge the spare results I've never really thought about it I say resolve oh I, I say resolve yeah resolve, right or, or you got that or anything like that I actually I actually yeah. also try to actively avoid okay maybe I'm mean, not doing that no somebody's gonna come in and tell me oh truly you might... say oh okay all the time but
2: <laughs> I might say okay when I'm in F6 mode okay okay
0: okay let's go let's go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, th- that's just so, so many things. And I'm actually going to write a short article on that, hopefully this week, probably ne- more like next week, about all the small stuff that uh, people should do to make it harder for people to cheat. That's going to come up to my website. But, yeah, for now, if you don't have any kind of ill intent, the only thing you need to work on is not to do things that could be used with ill intent, and that's just what I want to get out there. Try to play a really clean game. You don't need to do it for yourself, but if you encounter an opponent who does the same, there's potential for abuse if you're okay with that kind of behavior. And that's where I want to end with this. There's two more listener questions that we received this week that I want to get to now. The first one. Can we feel confident taking a tribal deck other than Fish with a ton of lords, to any GP or big tournament these days with Plague Engineer. Eric, how do you feel about that? Is Bird Tribal the next big tribal deck in Legacy?
2: Well, I know there's one person on Magic Online who's played uh, Slivers forever, and I think Slivers will do just fine against
0: Plague Engineer. (laughs) They they have a ton of lords now, like I think three different lords at this time.
2: They're all lords. There's only one X-One, and that's the, the Flyer.
0: Gale Rider Sliver.
2: Yeah, there, there, there's a few with abilities, and then the rest are all. There's like, yeah, there's the, the deck is all lords. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question was, is there anything we can do with that isn't all lords? Okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, XJ Cloud seems to think that Death and Taxes is still fine despite Ren and Six and Plague Engineer. So, uh, and you're not going to face these decks every
0: round or anything. So, exactly yeah, right. P- play what yeah. you want to play. So yeah. if, if I actually owned Paper Earth still, I would just take it to GP. It's like you mentioned, you're not going to play those decks every round. For example, the um, Felix Bulland, who I talked to, who finished ninth at 7-1-1 at, um, at Card Market Frankfurt. He told me, I think he didn't face a deck with Plague Engineer at Run 6 even once. He played against all kinds of decks and he got to play his Maverick game that, that like all us Maverick players really, really enjoy. And yet didn't have... That kind of disturbance and if you look at the numbers it's quote-unquote only nine percent and maybe some more of them flow to the top tables but it's not like they're completely unbeatable it's you no. lose an an amount of percentage that it's not comfortable but it's not like crazy amounts. so if you own elves or death and taxes or anything yes you should make some adjustments but it's not like your deck is unplayable especially yeah. going into a really big field like if you play at your local tournament and like I don't know, 40% of people hate on you because you're the elves guy. I mean, I've been there. Yes, it's probably going to be a little bit awkward and you probably have to do something about that. Uh, but if you go to a big tournament, and I mean, this is what we're mostly talking about when we're discussing the metagame, do it, do it anyway. It's, it's not as bad as us or other content creators sometimes make it feel, but there's a problem and it's going to be annoying, but... The format will eventually slow down and settle down, and then we'll hopefully arrive at a balance that's acceptable for us. For me, I'm gonna go ahead with a little bit more of Maverick. I really enjoy Maverick right now. Uh I don't know, Eric, you've been you haven't been that impact. Like if you were gonna go to a tournament, which leads us to the second listener question for the night. What decks would you take what deck would you take to GP Atlanta if given the, any choice, if it was tomorrow? So for me, it would probably be either elves or. Green, white, black maverick, or moonstumpy. What would it be in your case? Would, would you go ahead with black red reanimator? Like that's your signature deck, right?
2: Yeah, I, I always, I, I always struggle with the decision um, between playing one of the fair blue decks that I have the best results with, which is generally like Grixis Delver or Reanimator, because Reanimator has issues. It has issues in that I don't know what kind of hate my opponents are going to play online i have a way better idea just because it's a smaller group of people i mean i play against a lot of the same people and they they it's easier to guess what kind of hate they're going to have while people going to a gp may not even play that often and they might have older sideboard cards or they might just have the ones that they have or they might hate reanimator so they have 10 or whatever you know so it's a lot harder to guess at the earlier stages of a tournament what I'm going to be facing as far as graveyard hate is. And that's basically all you have to think about with reanimator is what are they going to do to beat you? Because your deck generally just beats everything in, in legacy on its own, except for the hate pieces. So, so. I always struggle with that. Um, but I, I'm leaning towards reanimator. We'll see. I do some testing before it and see which ones I am having better results with online. Reanimator seems really, really strong
0: right now. And you're also going to Atlanta, right? It's, I think it's by the end of September. Yes, I will be there. Awesome. Matt, uh, do you... uh, By the way, apparently the war is already over again. Uh, Canada obviously emerged victorious against an unknown enemy. And Matt is back in the studio. Well, yes,
1: but our guy did bring peace. Yeah, but there wasn't a war. All
0: the greater accomplishment. Matt, now that you're back, uh, if GP Atlanta was tomorrow, which deck would you play in the GP?
1: Well, because I have played so little in the past little while, I still think I would have to go with Nick Fit. However, um, there are a few little goodies in the last few sets. Um, so I could consider getting behind a Renin-6 Punishing Fire Control Jund Nick Fit kind of version.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa um, now we're getting deep. <laughs> we're getting real can, deep. Can you make the name even longer? um yes probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, like you went ahead and I, I didn't even know where we were going to stop like punishing fire nick
1: fit i think it probably i think like <laughs> off the top of the, my head this probably is like a deck with like four veteran explorers scavenging ooze eternal witness shifting ceratops lily the last hope uh renin six punishing fire coligan's command oh yeah that's it
0: all and a bunch of like one of planeswalkers
1: Yep, and then in the board you yep. run four chokes, yep. two boil. Okay. Dude, we called it an EDH
0: deck. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's what Nickfit is in disguise, right? I think most Nickfit players might actually like just be a couple cards short of actually making almost like an
1: EDH deck. It's more exciting because you get to run more than one of your favorite card, right? That's why they that's why they play Nickfit. <laughs> Or I would run, um, or I would run something. So either, yeah, some sort of like control build of something that I'm already kind of playing and tweaking, or I would run something just a hate deck like Moonstoppy. Um I'm, I think I'm really into the Blood Moons right now. I think a lot of people, even though they say they're prepared for it, they never are. And sometimes you can just win on turn one, and you don't I have can to play. Very much score. recommend that. So I would definitely give. I'm not sure if I would play the Trinisphere build though. I would be very i i would i would waffle so hard before the tournament about
0: that. Like I said, Marvis has this is the deck. He's been around for legacy legacy forever. This is the deck he's put the most hours into into tacking out, and I'm really happy for him to finally get like a big finish again. And honestly, I hope we see more of that deck. It used to be kind of like a bit of almost like a toxic deck that, that you didn't really want to see in the meta game, but I want to see as much of it as I can right now, because I'd rather see that than four-color, five-color, greed control.
1: Well, but I was very mu- Yeah, I mean, I was very much like when the meta was Deathrite Shaman and all these four-color decks, I didn't really enjoy that either because it, I felt it was way too greedy, and now all these Renin Six decks are like, oh, I can buy back my lands, everything, life is good, I don't have to worry about staying on curve, and then you're like, well, turn one. Do you got the basic land in your hand? Do you even have a removal spell? Well, I guess that's it then.
0: So yeah, if you are going to go to GP Atlanta, definitely let us know in the comments on Twitter, on my website, anywhere. Uh, You can also send mail if you want. I legally have to put my mail address on my website, I recently learned, because like German law and stuff. (laughs) Let us know what you are going to play in the GP, and which decks you think are the best right now, because that's something I would definitely love to know about. And with that, we are gonna close out the show tonight. I wanna to give shoutouts to our new patrons Philip and Bryce, who have started supporting us earlier this week and also last week, and of course our regular subscribers on Eternal Witness Tier Level Matt Bashu and James, as well as our Grizzlebrand supporters Scott and Korush. Matt, where can people find you, or are you still undercover? I'm dark. You're dark. You're, you, people can't reach you. They have to send mail to me, and then I will forward it to Canada. Like, I'm a post o- living post office box. Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: I do have a post office box, which I will post uh, in the comments.
0: Well, you can find it on my website, I guess. <laughs> or, or whatever, yeah. Oh, okay. Eric, where can people find you?
2: I'm e. Landon one at Twitter and e. w. Landon on Twitch.
0: And you wouldn't believe how many people in Frankfurt actually called you F Landon. I mean F-Lenton. that's a German way to pronounce it. Yes, people actually. When we talk about podcasts, some some people mentioned, oh, and you have F. Lenten. I'm like, oh, you mean E. W. Lenten? Yeah, yeah, F. Lenten. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you should say that more often on your podcast, uh, e- on your on your stream.
2: W. It's my initials. <laughs> it's my email from when I made an
0: email. And what school. does the W stand for? Like you're American, so it's probably like Warren. You're getting there, close. No, it's William. William, okay, Eric William then. So, and if you want to find my content, you can find me on twitch.com slash twitter.com slash 23 as well as on itszunian.com and on my secret mail address on my website. Please don't send me that any mess. If you want to support our show, check out patreon.com slash everydaychannel, where you can subscribe on different tiers and get different kinds of perks. Actually, this weekend, I gave out a lot of our stickers, not only to our supporters, but also to just people who said Hello at Card markets, and it's really just like one way to, to appreciate the stuff that we're doing and the hours that we're putting into this. So if if you like it and you got like a dollar or something to spare every month, we'd be really, really happy to get your support, to help out with the running of the show. So Eric, William Lenton, and Matt, I don't even know if you have a second name, Pavlik. Thank you so much for coming on thank you guys and girls so much for tuning in to the show and see you again in two weeks. Bye bye. Bye. Toodles.